0: Now it's time for Inspirational Women, and we meet Dr. Allison Nirenberg, a psychologist and the author of No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships. Be ready for some important life insights. Dr. Allison Nirenberg, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today.
1: Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Happy Memorial Day.
0: Oh, and to you as well. And, you know... to To all days uh, being wonderful days. But, you know, I guess that's where it also comes into what we want to discuss this morning around perfectionism. The book is No Perfect Love Shattering the Illusion of Flawless Relationships. And, uh, you know, perhaps when we look around us, just everything we can look at uh, could fall into that category of perfectionism.
1: Got it. There's been a lot of research done looking at our own perfectionism. One of the reasons I wrote this book, there is very little that focuses on our expectation that other people are perfect.
0: Oh, so there's two sides to the coin then?
1: You got it. Um, most of the writing on perfectionism looks at how we can be kinder to ourselves, how we can you know, stop the tapes that are asking ourselves to be perfect. But um, there's also this perfectionistic expectations we put on our partners, we put on our children, we put on our co-workers, kind of that expectation that other people will act like we think they should act.
0: So there's perhaps some unraveling that needs to happen that we get in touch with what that is, and if we can... Uh, What let go of perfectionist goals and desires for ourselves, we can have a a more accepting relationship with those around us and in our, especially our close relationships, but all relationships.
1: You've got it. I, I hear so often that people are saying it shouldn't be like this. You know, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. And kind of letting go of what should be and accepting what is is our challenge.
0: So, you know, in a way, to think about that feels as though that could very easily be the basis of so many ills in our society, of course, within ourselves, our our circle, but in society in general. Definitely.
1: Um, We we get disappointed when our expectations aren't met, when we expect that our partners aren't going to make mistakes or that our children are going to succeed. And when things don't go according to our plan, we get anxious, we get sad, we get worried, we end up um, blaming them, blaming ourselves and being stuck in a cycle of resentment.
0: And so if we look at this in terms of family units, and I think that that's maybe a a good kind of nugget place to begin that maybe that can then be multiplied out into into the world. So if we look at at this, um, our children are learning that kind of an attitude and need from ourselves.
1: You've got it. They actually, I look at children in, in our society now often really stuck. Their parents look at them as a narciss, narcissistic extension of themselves. So it's not enough for your child to be in a club. He needs to be president of the club. It's not enough that your child's on a soccer team. He needs to be in the travel soccer team. I mean, it's not enough for your daughter to take a dance class, but she has to be in the front row, the prima ballerina, the beyond a traveling dance team. I mean, there's so much pressure that our society places on parents. They place on the competitiveness of seeing if your children can succeed.
0: Do you believe that this has always been the case, or is this something that is of the past couple of generations? I do. I think it's
1: increased as time has gone on. I, if you look at the advent of social media, it, it's not enough that your child starts school. Now you see all these young parents posting the first day of school and who their child's teacher is just to show what a great parent they are, or where their kid is going to college. It's all, everything's about posts and making their kids look perfect and, you know, looking at what a successful parent you are and what a successful children you are. And it's becoming this, this bragging place where there's Instagram and Facebook and, you know, each family tries to be Instagram perfect.
0: Yeah, I think we do agree. Social media has had a lot of responsibility, but it is a thing. We're the ones who put ourselves in that place of building the competition.
1: Definitely, it's true. And it also keeps us from being as present as parents. Mm. You know, we're not listening to our children. We're too busy trying to take their picture or we're scrolling through our phones when we should just be showing up and being there in the room with our kids.
0: Yes. I can think of uh, more so in a time when when I was doing a lot more uh, public transit commuting and seeing uh, parents, uh, both mothers and fathers, both parents, uh, with a stroller and, and the child is just kind of staring off into space, but they're scrolling through their phones, whereas this would be a time to to spend focused on each other, engaging and showing what we're passing, that sort of thing, right?
1: Yes, you got it. And you even see couples who are out to dinner who aren't even making eye contact and looking at each other. They're both looking on their phones and ignoring the other person. It's totally impacting our relationships.
0: So this seems like definitely a a key place to, to begin to make some change in our lives is to recognize that, and it's a habit we've formed, so we can unform it?
1: Yes. What a child wants when their parents walk into the room is just to see that that his or her parents' eyes are sparkling, that their faces are lighting up, that they're happy to see the child. But when your parent is looking at a screen or uh, preoccupied with the next deadline she or he has... Nobody's there and
0: present, and there might be a little bit of hypocrisy that comes in, too, where there's a limit put on screen time that say for for the children, but yet there doesn't seem to be the same kind of rule or guideline for the parents.
1: You've got it. We even have this with my youngest uh, son. When we eat dinner, we put our phones down, and my my husband was still looking on his, and my son caught him on with it. And you know, it, it's we're trying to be consistent. What we model as that will be helpful for our kids as well.
0: Yes. So we we know. <laughs> Thank you for being so vulnerable. It it happens <laughs> in the in the best of families, and the m- more. Oh my goodness,
1: <laughs> I'm guilty of it myself, and I, you know. It, here it is, I'm talking about the ills of social media, yet I'm promoting my book. I mean, it's on social media, so it does feel hypocritical. Um, you know, it, but it, it's just that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out on something and fear of not doing it well. When I look at social media as one of the contributing factors, but I think about us as being raised on looking for perfection. You know, if you even think about the fairy tales we're told as children. Mm. We're going to find true love and, you know, a prince charming and move off to a castle and live happily ever after. Right. We're, We're fed these illusions since we're little kids.
0: Yes. And, and perhaps that, that really is part of where it comes from. And, so then, you know, just thinking of those fairy tales and, and being Cinderella and everything will will work out perfectly and I'll, we'll have this glass slipper or whatever, is it, sharing, sharing the stories in such a way that brings balance or, you know, finding a, counter stories that kind of give a, a bigger picture to it?
1: Well, it, what happens once you move into the castle? They, they happily ever after... They don't talk about the princess having a mother-in-law or dealing with a pandemic or an environmental crisis. They they just talk about living happily ever after once they find their true love. And I see couples after the marriage when things aren't perfect and people don't know what to expect. They don't know how to deal with the illusion being shattered.
0: You have a great chapter in the book, No Perfect Love, specifically on the pandemic, on COVID, and yeah. what our life was like, and lessons that we hopefully might have learned through that. And you were writing this book really right in the midst of that time.
1: Yes. I mean, the good part for me was I actually was home more. i a pretty extroverted person who goes out a lot. And so being homework gave me some quiet time to really look within. Um, some of the good parts was I, I realized people that I didn't miss seeing socially and then people who I really did. It kind of let me look at the priorities of my life.
0: And I think that that was at least as it started uh, and and through it, but certainly when it all started, I, I had this uh kind of illusion, like, oh, this is a restart button. This is great Mm -hmm. for us. We're going to be able to get things into perspective. That kind of dream was shattered for me.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, My husband actually shamed me into writing the book because he's heard me talking about my desire to write for a whole marriage. I mean, over 26 years, he's heard me saying, oh, I should write my book. I should write my book. And he said to me, you're not going to write your book during a pandemic. When are you ever going to write it? So I, I kind of laughingly said that he shamed me into writing it.
0: <laughs> and that is a the topic of shame is a a whole other <laughs> subject that we yes. we can get into, right?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, well, you know, shame is that sense that you really messed up. It's not just that you made a mistake, but it's deeper. It's that you are a mistake. It's that guilt. That's deeper than guilt. It's a sense that. You haven't done what you wanted to do and that you're disappointing yourself and others. That core feeling of unworthiness.
0: Which, which is highly serious. Yours, of course, yeah. your situation wasn't quite like that. that it it no. almost feels like a, a bantering kind of thing. But there is that s- seriousness where uh, people could get into that the the perf- the perfectionist parent then shaming that child that they have not risen to the heights that they wanted for them and 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 riding them so uh, terribly with this that um it, it can cause a, a great tragedy in in so many different ways
1: yes i look at shame as a hot potato nobody wants to hold on to it so if you're feeling shame that your child isn't enough or that your child is failing. You, you pass it on. You shame the other person. You know, and a lot of it comes from our own insecurities. So if we grow up in a family where we're feeling, we experience trauma and we're feeling wounded, if anything doesn't seem perfect on the outside, we feel so unworthy and shame. We feel exposed. So we lash out and blame the other person.
0: So it it's, uh, then circles right back to us. It really is about the individual. We're the ones who have that perfectionist ideal. We're the ones who imp- push the shame out there. It, w- there's healing that needs to go on within us, so we don't perpetuate that.
1: You got it. Not, what I'm talking about is acceptance. Acceptance that all of us are going to make our mistakes. We're going to show our less than ideal sides of ourselves in relationships. And then we're going to apologize, own it, and try and do better. We need to work as a community to really booster each other up, booster the children up, not just the superstar athletes or the superstar students, but the kids who are trying their best. And we need to booster up ourselves and show that we don't have to be perfect parents the expectations on all of us are just so high. And then it translates to our children. And when the expectations are so high, teenage suicide has never been higher. Teenage depression has never been higher. These colleges' expectations are that the kids are practically perfect, which is a setup all around.
0: Looking at the perfectionism and, and, My child is going to be the star, as you were saying earlier, you know, the head cheerleader, the front dance row, you know, the, the captain of the football team. That's a one position. Not realizing that everybody else on that team or in that group really is important in order to make that person be as good as they are. If everyone else disappeared, there would be nothing anyway. How do we grapple with that and communicate that?
1: You know, so much of it is about acceptance
0: and,
1: and showing love, not just for achievements, but for who the person is. Mm. Uh, I have three kids at three completely different levels, academic levels. One of them, my um, oldest is a very high achiever and ended up going to an Ivy League college. And a beautiful girl in her sorority there committed suicide this year. Oh. She she was somebody who was a perfect athlete, who was, you know, just ideal student and, uh, you know, couldn't handle a lot of the pressure that she put on herself. And it was such a tragedy seeing how it reverberated within my daughter's circle of friends and how sad everybody is. And it's like, grades don't matter at the end of the day. How athletic your child is doesn't matter. You want your child to have character and be kind and happy with him or herself.
0: Yes, Oh, that really is such a tragic illustration of what perfectionism and achieving that it can be so hollow. Obviously, for a young woman to take her life,
1: it's I don't know if you heard about that whole scandal with Rick Singer, the college coach. This was several years ago, where he basically was found cheating—that he was getting famous actresses, politicians. Basically, people were paying him a ton of money to backdoor their kids into these Ivy League colleges. It was all over. It was all over People magazine. There was a Lifetime movie about it. Famous actresses like Lori Loughlin um, had basically who could have had every opportunity to get their kids into colleges were cheating. And America was an outrage they really vilified the people who had done this. When I look at it as a bigger context of this is our society and the pressure that's put on parents and the pressures that's put on kids, and it's it's just too much.
0: It is. And when that was going on and I thought just using – that family as the example, because they are so high profile, I thought about the daughters and how knowing your parent did this for you, that obviously they didn't trust that you had enough to be all you needed to be, that they had to cheat their way to get you to something. Oh, that had to be so gut-wrenching.
1: Oh, yeah, there it is, not feeling enough. I mean, to me, that's shame in a nutshell. It's I'm not good enough unless I get this certain degree from the right prestigious college or if I look good or if I have 8,000 Instagram followers.
0: Yes. And we are lured through social media. Mm -hmm. Media is, is a tool and it's there for our use, but not our abuse. And I feel we have a responsibility so... Same with the other venues, like the Facebooks and the Instagrams and the Twitters, to be responsible, but not let it be the guiding principle in our life.
1: You got it. I mean, to really look at the people we have instead of the way it should look, the perfect, Mm -hmm. you know, airbrushed version of life.
0: Yes. So in our discussing this, are, are we going to be able to really instigate that change?
1: Little changes, little changes each day. So, one that you can do is really put down your phone, look at your children when they walk into the room, look at your husband, look at your partner instead of trying to change them. So often, as parents, we we look at our daughter and think, oh, her hair's messed up. Let me fix this, or look at our son and try and fix his collar on his shirt. But if we really just make eye contact, let ourselves smile, let our eyes sparkle, and make a decision we're going to be present today. It's not about deep breathing or any mantra. It's about making a conscious choice. How can I be there for somebody? How can I let them know I'm really happy that they're home?
0: And that's that's certainly a very doable exercise that we can incorporate in this moment or after we've finished listening to this particular conversation. We can... Take that as an exercise and do it once and then repeat it until it becomes just natural.
1: You know, it's something that everybody wants. Everybody from, that you have contact with, from the person who checks out your food at the supermarket to your partner to your children, they want to know that they matter. They want to know that you see them. They want to know that you're happy that they're there. And you can do that by one second decision to be present.
0: The reward in that should then be impetus to want to repeat that again because of the way the person really does light up because you've acknowledged them.
1: It's connection, and we all crave it. I mean, that's one thing the pandemic taught us, know that we matter, to feel that we're really present for other people and that they're present for us. And sometimes what stands in our way is that there's so many expectations of things we need to get accomplished. There's the immediacy of, oh I have to return that email, or I have to call this person back, or I have to do the next task in my list of tasks.
0: But we can spare a moment right now. We can one moment. One moment. And tied into this is another aspect of the book No Perfect Love is forgiveness. I can feel how this needs to play into all of this. Okay, I've done these things in the past. Maybe that's something I just need to take time and forgive myself and do this moment by moment change and acknowledgement.
1: You know, that was the hardest chapter for me to write, the forgiveness chapter. Hmm. I I wrote it and I got um, somebody who had proofread it. I had a bunch of people proofreading it for me. And um, somebody gave me feedback. I needed to really flesh out that that chapter. And I first got real defensive. I think it's great. And then I took in the feedback and was like, all right, I need to do some deep, deep dive into the literature on forgiveness. And I really did. And I spent a whole weekend just immersed in forgiveness literature. And I realized, oh, no wonder this is a hard chapter for me to write. This is an area where I've struggled in my own life, letting go of hurts. I'm a mama bear. If you hurt one of my kids, forget it. Mm-hmm. But if you hurt me, I'm still a little bit fragile. So part of my work was really doing as much as I can to really outline how to forgive, what stands in our way of forgiving, and how we can work together to do it a little bit better.
0: And it, it is a very critical part of our life to be able to forgive, which includes forgiving ourselves and thinking of, all we've been discussing in terms of uh, not paying attention or being so distracted by social media and perfectionism, we can forgive ourselves or need to forgive ourselves for that in order to to make a change.
1: You got it. What stands in our way, often, of forgiving ourselves or forgiving other people, is that we have these grievance stories. These are these stories that we tell ourselves time and time again, where we're the innocent victim and this other person hurt us and we we are virtuous and good and this other person did this to us and harmed us and we stay stuck in that same story on repeat
0: and being becoming aware of that i was thinking of that as you shared That was being vulnerable about how tough it was to write about forgiveness. It's those areas, if we will look at them, that are the key to where we need to focus and and do some work or make some change.
1: You got it. And really, starting by practicing with little opportunities to forgive. So you could forgive the person who drives by you and passes you on the highway without, you know, giving you much notice or forgiving a waitress if she messes up your order. Um, starting with little acts of forgiveness and really practicing growing your forgiveness muscle. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so important to realize that we're forgiving, not for other people, whether they we're forgiving them, whether they deserve it or not, but we're doing this for us so that our lives will get better.
0: And there really is that direct connection, isn't there? Oh, yes, when you
1: let go of that resentment, you feel freer. You're giving yourself a gift, whether the person deserves it or the person doesn't it doesn't matter. You're doing this because of the goodness of your heart and your soul
0: yes, it and that's where the focus needs to be, doesn't it? Not on I forgive you, therefore you you need to do something for me. It, it It's not at all about that kind of thing.
1: Yes, and it's also not about whether the person deserves it or not.
0: Mm.
1: It's about you doing this to free yourself up, to enjoy the blessings in your life.
0: And this is so key because we know our, our world, our society is in such a world of hurt. We just see it constantly repeated uh, even if we don't want to pay attention to the news it, it's just around us everywhere so I I, th- I feel I, I I do believe that it starts with ourselves we need to to do something in our own life to make a change and and trust that this is a ripple- out effect
1: exactly I
0: I tell my patients to practice changing
1: the channel you know Think about how many TV sets we have that with all those different channels and to envision ourselves taking our channel clicker and changing away from the anger and resentment channel and changing the channel to the beauty channel where we look at all the beautiful blessings we have. We look at nature and we look at streams and ponds and flowers and everything that's beautiful and really focusing on that and we allow ourselves to Look at all the beauty around us, and then we can envision ourselves changing the channel again to the gratitude channel. And all you have to do in that channel is really visit a hospital and realize how fortunate we actually are that we can walk out of the hospital without having to be there and being sick. Or picturing yourself going to a supermarket and realizing you can buy anything you want to eat and how lucky we are, where people in other countries don't have that possibility. And then I tell my patients to picture changing the channel to the forgiveness channel. And what does that look like? What's on that channel? Do we see people who've forgiven other people? Do we know anybody who's forgiven anybody? Can we read books where there's forgiveness as a main topic? Can we ask our family members, have there been any stories in our family where there's forgiveness? Can we focus on any moments that people have forgiven us? Yes. Really just changing our attention to possibilities and forgiveness.
0: And that's where we can also be grateful that we are that powerful. We have choice right here in our hands, right here within us. Yes.
1: We are going to make a conscious effort to try and focus on the gratitude, to list one thing. You might not be able to do a whole list, but just list one thing today that you feel grateful of, changing your attention to what you have instead of what you don't have. Right. Going back to our earlier discussion of social media, social media keeps us stuck because we look at what everybody else has, the better vacations, the children with all these awards and it's instead we're focusing on gratitude and all the blessings we have we're not going to stay so stuck on what we don't have yes
0: and there's a place to also ex- express gratitude how wonderful that they're able to do this great for them hopefully it's yeah. it's something that is you know just just a time of real good bonding and and fun for the whole family
1: You got it. And also, if somebody has what you want, look at them as an inspiration, somebody to talk to. Hey, how did you achieve this? Boy, I noticed you're taking off time and traveling. How did you come up with this plan? And how did you make that happen? How did you leave work for so long? You know, really looking at it as something to aspire to instead of just being envious and unhappy.
0: Right. Just so much a change of focus which we have a choice of making and realizing that that's within our power, that's where we'll begin to see where we, we feel joy, not in the perfectionist. You got
1: it. I, for me, it was like there was no perfect time to even write. I, <laughs> I was nervous about starting this book because I was like, all right, how do I make a perfect start? And it took me, uh, I had to let go of that and realize, all right, I'm just going to write, start with a couple blog posts. Instead of trying to write a whole book, I'm just going to make a blog post and kind of go from there and see what I want to write about instead of, you know, just waiting till the perfect time or that I had the perfect story I wanted to tell.
0: <laughs> that, that is a, a great example of, of how to do it. And you know, you as a, Someone who this has been your life's work, to to know that you're constantly working on it and finding ways to to have the experience that you can share, both in a book and with your clients.
1: Definitely, I, I say progress, not perfection. And I I share my struggles because I I feel like we all need to be human, instead of you know putting out this illusion that we all have it together.
0: Yes. Oh that makes life just so much easier that, that there well or has ease to it rather than the struggle and and the anxiety of thinking you need to be always compared to someone else
1: You got it and I think sometimes we grow up in families whether there's alcoholism whether there's addiction whether there's depression or anxiety of our parents that we want to look perfect so nobody will worry So we're actually trained to try and put on a good facade. What I'm advocating for is that people let down the facades and become more authentic and more real.
0: And that just gives space to living a fuller, more joyous life.
1: And letting people in and Uh letting people connect with you on a deeper level. Because if you share your imperfections and your fragilities, then they are safe to do the same.
0: And just think of how much better our own circle will be. And and I keep thinking of when that happens, we ripple that into the world that needs it so desperately.
1: Well, yes. And it also sets up a, a whole different scenario for forgiveness. Mm. Because if we're not looking at ourselves as having to be perfect, we're not looking at our partners as having to be perfect. There's room for error. There's room for our partners letting us down and to talk about it and to look at what our pieces in a in a really authentic place instead of just taking their inventory, we're taking our own.
0: So much room for hope and growth and opportunity and change that is going to bring such a good wholeness, I feel, into our life. And I feel, Dr. Nirenberg, with your book, No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusion of Flawless Relationships, you're giving us such a great opportunity. And really, it's such a readable book with great opportunities to just work on on these little things in our life to really make a huge difference.
1: Thank you so much. I in writing it, I wanted to really use myself. So I, I, instead of just talking about the theory, a psychological theory, or, or um, you know, how it should sound in an academic sense, I, I really use popular culture, and I use movies and music and experiences from my own life that went well and that didn't go so well, and stories of my patients to really draw the reader in so that they would, the reader would realize that we're all in this together.
0: And and so the foundation there is authenticity, you know, and and really finding the relevancy through it all. But that's what I think draws us in and really gives us then that foundation uh, for change in our own lives.
1: That was my hope, and I and I tried to be as authentic as I possibly could, and um, you know, give exercises for. Um, the reader to do alongside of the book if they wanted to do a deeper dive into any of the topics we talked about.
0: Right. So the book is available at all of our favorite book sources, correct? Yes. And, you know, we've been talking about social media. Still, using the Internet is great because we can find good information. So you do have a website that might be another good resource for people, right?
1: Yes. My website is www.healingrelationshipspa.com.
0: Great. Well, this has been such an important and relevant conversation, and I am so grateful to you, Dr. Nirenberg, for the work that you have done and for writing the book and being with us this morning.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Katie. I appreciate it.
0: That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dr. Allison Nuremberg and Sunday Morning Magazine with Jay McDonald. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at 1069com and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of thinking about thinking differently, thinking of the other turn and how it might make a world of difference in our life.